Hello, and welcome to the Storyteller's Mission with Zena Del Lowe, a podcast for artists and storytellers about changing the world for the better through story. A few weeks ago, I asked the question, is your story good before God? And this question launched us into a series where I've been outlining the keynotes for godly storytelling. So far, we've covered the first three. One, a commitment to truth-telling. Two, a commitment to do no harm. And three, a commitment to promoting involvement or empathy over and against voyeurism. Today, I'd like to present keynote number four, portraying good versus evil accurately. Now, notice the first thing off the bat that this implies, you need to be able to tell the difference. Now, strangely enough, there's a number of issues involved in this. For starters, you want to be sure at the end of your story that the good comes out better than the evil is bad. In other words, the good portrayed must be genuinely good. It must be worth it. Whatever suffering or pain or sacrifices that your character has to go through to uphold it, it must be worth it. It must be truly honorable and praiseworthy. Now, by the way, this doesn't mean that good must ultimately prevail. It simply means that a good character is someone who is guided by noble and moral principles that are bigger than they are. Principles worth dying for. So, this means that you don't want to portray the good as being the obvious choice against the evil because you characterized your bad characters or evil characters as caricatures, evil mustache twirling villains. That's disingenuous at best. You want to be real. You want to be honest. You want to give both sides a fair shake. You want to be true. However, it also implies that you need to choose a moral dilemma that truly carries weight, that carries sufficient weight to make your story worth it for the audience. What kind of pain are you making us wade through for what payoff? Is the suffering we have to experience along with your character worth it to us in the end? This was one of my main problems with the film Signs. Now, I actually had quite a few problems with Signs, but let me start with this one. This was a film that attempted to deal with a very real-life dilemma, someone who has lost their faith. Mel Gibson plays a former pastor whose wife has died in a terribly tragic, horrific car accident. She's hit by a car. She's pinned to a tree. She's still alive, but in agony. And she will stay alive until they move the car, at which point her guts will fall out. It's just horrific for anyone to witness, let alone a husband who loves his wife. But God had a plan all along to use that suffering in those moments to save all of their lives later in the story when they are invaded by aliens. So cut to the climax of the story, and the family is being attacked by one of those aliens, and Joaquin Phoenix stands there helpless, powerless, he doesn't know what to do, until suddenly he recalls the woman's dying words, swing away, swing away, and all of a sudden it clicks, he gets it, and he picks up a baseball bat and he starts swinging away, which basically means he beats the crap out of the alien. 
Oh, isn't that wonderful? I mean, look at that. God had a purpose for that horrible accident that he made your wife die in. If she hadn't died that way, she wouldn't have been able to tell us, swing away. And that's what just saved all our lives. See, isn't God great? But see, there is a problem with this for several reasons. A, the horrible and gruesome death that the wife suffered is hardly worth it given what they gained in return. Why? Because of B. Swing away is hardly profound. It's hardly unique or special insight that the character needed to be told. For crying out loud, he was a former baseball player. Just pick up a bat and start swinging away, buddy. If there's an alien attack in your family, you couldn't come up with that on your own? Why did the wife have to die that horrendous, painful, agonizing death for that? Sorry, not worth it. So if you're going to put your characters through hell and put us through hell by extension, you better make it worth it. And I would argue that wasn't, it wasn't sufficient. The pain that she went through wasn't sufficient for the payoff. And that's the problem. Now, here's the thing. In a story, when a character dies, whether figuratively, spiritually, or actually in the story itself, and they do it while standing up for something good, if the good isn't ultimately worth it, if it isn't truly noble from our point of view, we will actually hate them for their sacrifice. It'll make us angry. Why? Because it violates our own sense of justice. We'll be like, you idiot, you threw your life away for that? That's just stupid. And guess what? We'll no longer care about that character. Thank you, Lulu. This happened multiple times during the last season of Game of Thrones. It's like the characters no longer had any noble principle to cling to. They had nothing to really guide them, nothing to help them make their own paths straight. So they would go off and die or fight for foolish things at foolish times, or they would elevate the wrong good things over and against the right good ones. So there might be two good things on the table, but they would choose the wrong one to make their stand on. Now, in essence, here's what that does. It makes evil look attractive because honestly, who wants to be on the side of a bunch of misguided idiots? No one. No one wants to admire, let alone follow, some pie-in-the-sky do-gooder, a goody two-shoes, who's naive. We, the audience, will begin to internalize these types of messages. And guess what we'll learn? We'll learn that being good is ultimately foolish. It's juvenile. It's something that only childish, naive people do. In which case, the good doesn't look nearly as attractive as those who have gained worldly wisdom. See, those guys are the practical ones. They're the ones who are reasonable. They're sane. That's how you navigate this fallen world. So that's what I must do too. Do you see the danger here if we violate this keynote? So how does something like this happen? How do we end up teaching a twisted morality like this? Or rather, how do we keep from teaching something like this? Well, it starts by reevaluating our own presumptions about that, which is really, truly good. 
Where we start to see this kind of thing happen, frankly, is when the writers themselves have a misguided notion of good. We inadvertently create a good character who is not actually good, but shows more legalistic characteristics or morally self-righteous characteristics. They're rigid or hard-nosed or stubborn, but they think that they're doing good. These are the characters who see themselves as being virtuous, but who disapprove of or look down on others. Don't make your good characters behave like Pharisees. Don't make them self-righteous jerks. But this comes back to the deeper issue yet again, namely that part of the reason why this is happening, part of the reason why it's becoming more and more difficult to characterize good characters versus evil is because we've adopted false assumptions about what it means to be good in the first place. What does good look like? What is good? Because I'll tell you, in addition to Christians adopting a no sex, no language, no violence criteria, there seems to be yet another unspoken rule that a good story is one that is inspirational. This is the predominant view about stories being created and promoted by Christians. It must be inspirational. To be godly or to honor God, a story should lift people up. It should build people up. It should encourage them. It should make people feel good and hopeful. It must have a happy ending. Is it true? What about Romeo and Juliet? Happy ending? <laughs> no. It ends in the tragic death of two teenagers. Not a lot of hope in that. How about Requiem for a Dream? Anybody ever seen that? Now, most Christians, to be honest, wouldn't dare to watch it because it's the story of three people from vastly different walks of life who spiral into a world of drug addiction until at the end of the movie, each of them has destroyed their own life irredeemably. And yet I've argued that it should be mandatory viewing for anyone in high school because this is a story that tells the truth. We get to see the very real consequences of characters who spiral in addiction. Here's another example. How about Ozark? Anybody watching that? I'll be honest, I watched the pilot, but then I resisted for a while watching the whole rest of the series because I can't stand to watch a show where there isn't at least one morally noble character. And I couldn't find one in Ozark. And yet, it seemed to me that the characters were being presented as being sympathetic. And I just didn't think that was the case. Well, a friend of mine who's a Christian says, Zena, you got to watch the whole series. And I did, and my friend was right. Why? Because the entire arc of those first three seasons leads these characters to the same conclusion. They are not the good guys as they have contended throughout the whole thing. They are not the victims of the big bad cartel, the innocents just trying to survive. They are the same. They might be different in the way their evil looks, but at the end of the day, they are the same. It just takes them three seasons to break through their very well-constructed systems of denial to see the truth about themselves. And their discovery is well worth it. Isn't that what we all must do? One of the essential steps of becoming an enlightened human being is to see ourselves as we truly are, guilty, corrupt, powerless, unable to stop being what we are, which is why we need a savior to save us. 
So those are just three examples of stories that don't have happy endings. Are they therefore not godly stories in terms of the moral worldview that they espouse? And this is where I get personal because I want to talk to you briefly about my own short film, Ragdoll. Now, Ragdoll is the true story about a woman who is married to a gay man. I wanted to tell that story because we live in a world that celebrates when men come out of the closet, but nobody ever talks about what happens to a woman in that situation. What kind of damage happens to her? And so it was very important to me that I tell that story. And let me tell you something. I woke up one morning and the story was just there. It was fully formed in my head. I sat down and wrote it and it was the story I had to tell. But it took me years before I finally felt ready to actually make it. And so in keeping with my policy of living in consultation, I shared the script with a filmmaker friend and after he read it, he looked up at me and he said, Zena, you cannot tell this story. And I felt like somebody had just squeezed my heart. And I said, why not? And he said, because it's hopeless. It's a hopeless story. And Christians believe in hope. You can't be a Christian and tell this story. It just isn't right. Now, maybe you agree with him, but believe me, I have wrestled and wrestled with this because he was right. The story was hopeless. And yet there was no other way for that story to be told without lying anyway. And keep in mind, I lived this story. So I felt like I had earned the right to tell it. And I felt like I had something worthwhile to say, something that other people needed to hear because I knew I wasn't the only one in this kind of situation. I felt like the story I had to tell was the story I had been given to tell, which meant it could not have a happy ending. So I wrestled and I wrestled until I finally realized something. There is room in God's economy for hopelessness. Not everything in this world is redeemed. Think about that because it's a fact. People have free will and sometimes people use their free will to do bad things. And sometimes we are the victims of other people's bad choices. And sometimes we're the perpetrators. And other people are our victims. They get hurt by us. The fact is that people make choices. And sometimes those choices lead them to some kind of death. Now, I don't know about you, but I've seen some pretty painful things in my life. A lot of which have ended badly. So not everything, not everyone, and not every situation is redeemed. Now, if that is the truth of the world as God made it, then why can't I tell that truth? Now, I will say this, that it needs to at least have the possibility of redemption, but that's something we'll talk about next week. For now, the important principle here is that not everything ends good. So no, godly stories don't have to have a happy ending. In fact, I would even argue that sometimes the most godly stories don't. Ragdoll, Romeo and Juliet, 
Requiem for a Dream, Ozark. These are all tragedies. And what is a tragedy? It means that we damn our characters in order to redeem our audience. The characters have no hope. They are doomed. But that's okay. Why? Because the real point of the story is for our audience, is to teach them a lesson so they can make a different choice. So it is absolutely okay to tell stories that end in tragedy or that have hopelessness at the end of the day. In fact, it's more than okay. It's a necessary part of God's economy. Not everything ends well. I want to thank you for listening to the Storyteller's Mission with Zena Del Lowe. May you go forth inspired to change the world for the better through story.